You want me at the Garden? You want me at the Rumble? You're damn right I want your ass at the Rumble. You got it! Mankind and Triple H back in the ring. The two men that will meet for the richest prize in the game at the Royal Rumble. Triple H got that bell. The bell. He got the bell. Oh! Did you hear that? I'm right here! No! Oh my God! Triple H just put her mid body right there on the table to the concrete. Unbelievable! Triple H is the game he proved it tonight. He'll prove it at the Rumble. After the beating you gave me on Monday night. One thing mankind is not is ready to face you in a street fight at the Royal Rumble in Madison Square Garden. But I think the WWF fans deserve a substitute in that match. I think you know the guy. His name is Cactus Jack. Cactus Jack is back. Drastic times call for drastic measures. Triple H forced Nick Foley to metamorphosize into Cactus Jack. This guy's so Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Matt Madness Wrestling Podcast. I am your host, Ron Pashery Jr., and with me this week are my good friends. For the first time in a while, I feel like we have the the three uh, original co-hosts from episodes one and two. Uh, my good friends, Ek Two Fly, Eric Trembicki. What up? What up? And Mister Wednesday Night Live. We call him Alo. The ladies call him Balo. Aaron Lloyd. And this week we are doing, I guess we kind of could call this a throwback madness, really. It's kinda, it is what it is. I don't think we've been yeah. calling it that or advertising it as that, but it kind of is Royal Rumble 2000. We started this podcast with Alo coining the phrase, it's 2000 all over again, so why not go back to the beginning of the year 2000 in, <coughs> in WWF uh, with Royal Rumble 2000. Uh Show opens with the Triple H Cactus Jack uh, vignette, but before we get to that, Alo, is there a rating system on the Matt Madness Wrestling Podcast? Yes, it is, Howard. It's been a while, but welcome back, Howard. One, two, is this on? <laughs> Yo, Jimmy, hit me with that Triple H. <laughs> the following podcast has a rating system in place. If it's a horrible show, it gets a jobber. If the show falls somewhere in the middle, it gets a slumber knockout. And if it is an amazing show, it gets the rating of ratings. It will get a show stopper. Thank you, Howard. So, with that being said, Alo, I know you made this choice. I will let you lead off with your rating of Royal Rumble 2000. It was a bit difficult to kind of rate this show for me. Uh, even though it's a Royal Rumble pay-per-view, the Rumble match by itself is usually about a half hour. So I thought a lot of the undercard was short, but I do think that the match that 
this pay-per-view is synonymous with. Got an enormous amount of time. And, and I'm letting you guys know right now, uh, if you're into love stories, you're going to hear one with me and Triple H tonight <laughs> when it comes to this show. Uh, so I'll, I'll just give it, I'll give it a high slobber knocker because the thing that this match, that this show synonymous with is the Triple H and Cactus Street fight, the Hardys and Dully's Tables match. And I guess the I guess the last thing would be the big show in the Rock controversy at the Rumble at, at the end of the Rumble match. But I thought the undercard pretty much delivered. It, everything was kind of what what it needed to be. We're going to talk about something that I start. I, I I said when we first started the show, Taz's debut and end in the career ends in the same night <laughs> in WWF because that does happen. But yeah, I, I really did enjoy this show. You know, I'll just give it a high slobber knock. So you're basically, you're saying this show is you season three with Halo and Triple H yes. as the main characters. All right. Yes. <laughs> Uh, Eck, a rating from you on Royal Rumble 2000. I'm going to let you go first. Okay. Uh, For me, I am giving it just a straight up... uh, I guess I'm going to go slobber knocker. Because I didn't get as excited for this as I did for the January 4th, 99 Raw the week before. Uh, for whatever reason, I don't know why that was. I don't know for what reason, but I was so excited to like rewatch that raw and had so much fun watching it. And this you would think would outdo an episode of raw, but it it didn't quite get there for me for whatever reason. I thought it was good. I thought it was better than pretty much anything that company is giving us now in 2020, but I will go slobber knocker because it was a good show. It was a fun show. And obviously still a lot of star power in the company at that point. So, Eck, how about you? I got to give this a showstopper. I got so many fond memories about this show. Um, there's, you know, like Aaron just mentioned, there's um, a few matches that are synonymous with this event. Yes, it is a Royal Rumble match. Um, I got some positive thoughts about the Royal Rumble match itself, but two solid tag team matches. Um, it's one of those things I forget all the time. It's so, I think it's very easy to forget that the tables match isn't for the tag team titles. We got halfway through that match. Just wait a minute. This isn't for the straps. Um, that match is iconic. Um, argue with me and tell me that there's a better tables match ever. That's why I signed. Uh, it's the best tables match ever. <laughs> uh, the excitement, the the thing in the um, alleyway with the, you know the the spot where Jeff Hardy did you know at that time I think his highest swanton. Um, that, that's that's awesome. I love that match. And then later to see the New Age Outlaws, my personal favorite tag team of all time, versus one of the most underrated tag teams of all time, and the Acolytes. Uh, great hard-hitting match. You get a fifth person in the match with Xbox, which pretty much was the deciding factor. And, and uh, I mean, you, when we get into the show, that world championship match, there's there's so many good things to say about that match that I think is, I don't know, it, I could go on and on and on, and I got a lot to say about that. But yeah, this, this show is a, a slobber knocker to me. Um, I'm sorry, a showstopper to me. Whether I'm talking about me being nine years old, nineteen years old, or twenty-nine years old, anywhere <laughs> in between, it, it's the hell of a show. Uh, I'm enjoying it. I love it. Well, good. I'm, I'm glad that you got so much enjoyment out of it and had such fond memories of it. Before we get into the specifics of the show, a couple things. Uh, first, 
Condolences to Dwayne The Rock Johnson on losing his father, the legendary Rocky Johnson. None of us, obviously, uh, you know, probably have memories of watching Rocky Johnson as a wrestler. I know I don't, and if any of us would, it would be me. So (laughs) safe to say you guys don't have memories of that. But, uh, you know, a legend in the business, uh, you know, one of the two people that brought into the world the most electrifying man in professional (laughs) wrestling. Uh, so as someone who also has lost a parent, uh, you know, I know that Dwayne does not need my condolences, but my heart goes out to him. I know it's not an easy time and I hope that him and his, his family are doing the best they can to get through it. Any, any thoughts from you guys on, uh, on Rocky Johnson and the rock? You always hate to say it. You always hate to hear it. Um, it's, it's not nice. To, uh, it's not, it's not good in our wrestling fandom to ever lose someone in the wrestling business, whether it be somebody that had a small spotlight, whether it be part of our era, era where you or I had a hiatus from watching it. Someone from when we were a kid and someone from before our time, Uh, especially someone that is the father to one of the greatest of all time. So, just like you, my heart goes out to the rock. It goes out to that whole Johnson family. And, um, it's just, it's just a shame. And like you said, it's, it's, it's part of the, the wrestling family. Like, you know, you've lost a family member in a way, like all of us who at any point have been in love with pro wrestling. Like it's kind of, they're kind of family members to us in a way. So yeah. I, I definitely understand that sentiment. Uh, how about you, Alo? I could have sworn. Well, I actually put this in a group text the other day when we heard about him passing. I could have sworn he was getting back on the signing circuit to do a to do an autograph signing in the near future. I could have swore I saw that, but yeah, like you guys said, like watching this stuff every week and him being the father of the Rock, and we grow growing a personal attachment to the rock over all the years it's kind of like like you said it's like we're all like a big family and it's like oh well he really passed away really but it's good to see that he actually lived like what is he, what is he 75 uh, I, I didn't see what his what his age was but i would guess right around there i think it was 75 or 76 but he lived a good life and our condolences go out to the rock and his family yes uh so yeah, I wanted to mention that first uh, on a, a little bit more of a happy note, especially for me. Off, I'd like to offer congratulations to arguably my favorite in the game right now, Bianca Belair, on winning the <laughs> Women's Battle Royal on NXT this week. And we'll be facing Rhea Ripley for the NXT Women's Championship. Is it TakeOver Portland? Yep. So happy to see that. I st- I don't believe she's going to win the title at this thing because I think it would be odd for them to take it off Rhea Ripley this quickly. But happy to see her get put in a prominent position. Two women who deserve it, and I'm really looking forward to seeing how they can outdo what they did on one of the weekly NXT shows a few weeks ago. So how do you guys feel about Bianca Belair versus Rhea Ripley at, a, at an NXT takeover? I got time for it, and I wouldn't be surprised if Bianca won because Rhea's so young that it won't really hurt her. They can always rebuild her up promptly. And Bianca Belair, I feel like this is either going to be her – it's definitely her second championship match, if not third. So I'd hate to see her keep getting these opportunities and they keep slipping between her fingers. 
Agreed. Also, I, I, I would love one. to see her. I don't watch like her on Wednesdays. Yeah, Halo? <laughs> yeah, it'll be her third. Spoiler. Her sec- huh? It's a spoiler. Is it? Mm-hmm. Well, it's already on the air. It happened already, so. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, it'll be her third, but second on a one-on-one opportunity. Yeah, I'm definitely excited for it. The, the takeover events, they're not what they used to be for me. Uh, they're not. I gotta watch right away things, but that match is something I would like love to watch live as it happens, so I don't got to get spoiled or whatever. <laughs> but I'm really looking forward to that match. Of course, I want to see her win, but whatever happens, happens. I I, I still believe that she is a star. Agreed, uh, and I'm just happy to see her like not be an afterthought. Like that she's. I thought there was a chance that she wouldn't be back around the title, but I'm happy to see that she is. And then last thing. I want to mention is the Wednesday night ratings. I feel like we didn't talk about this last week or even the week before maybe, but AEW 940,000 viewers, which I think is a pretty good number and NXT 700,000 viewers. Also not a bad number. Uh, That's over a million and a half people watching wrestling on Wednesday night. So I'm actually a little bit more encouraged about the Wednesday night war this week than I have been for the past few weeks. Because it felt like those numbers were dwindling for a little while, and now it seems like they've they've kind of ticked back up, like you know, closer to the million viewers mark. Definitely for Dynamite. Uh, yeah, I have no idea what happened on Dynamite this week. Uh, I ended up recording uh, as a special guest host uh, on your boy Elroy last night, so I didn't get What's a chance that? to watch. Huh? <laughs> it's, it's an MMA, uh, an MMA podcast. That you may or may not have heard of, uh, and hopefully you will—you'll uh, definitely hear of it tomorrow when when the episode I guest hosted launches. I think within—I think it'll be out in about two hours. Um, but I didn't get to watch anything. I have no idea what happened. I have no idea. DDP returns winning, huh? DDP returns to the ring. Oh, did he? Yeah. Diamond Dallas Page in six-man tag team action. Did you watch it? Yes, Wednesday. So how did he look? He looked great. He jumped off the top of the rope to the the, the uh, outside mat. How many diamond cutters did he get? I want to say one. That one's enough, typically. Yeah. <laughs> typically one is yeah. all you need. <clears throat> he looked great. MJF, MJF said, uh, MJF came out in a tank top. That had the diamond cutter hands and said, I banged your daughter. <laughs> <laughs> the greatest. Uh, yes. Really. Oh, my gosh. How about, and how about this, this week's episode was deemed Bash at the Beach. So uh, DDP had a fly promo. He said, last time I competed at the um, – you would have loved this. Yo, you're a fool for not watching it. He said, last time I, I competed at Bash at the Beach, I faced the macho man Randy Savage. That's and pretty he great. did a little, ooh, yeah. Oh, so this was the uh, Miami show, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right, how that's about, one I'll have to go back and watch. And how about Dallas putting his, putting his money where his mouth is? Like, that's, that's, all these moves are brought to you by DDP Yoga. <laughs> right? <laughs> Got to get a plug in there when yes, you get the did. opportunity on TV. Uh, so Royal Rumble 2000, as always, show starts with the great promo package. Hyping the Triple H Cactus Jack feud, their street fight that would take place later in the night. 
Oh, they always do a great job of getting you hyped up for the show. It's at Madison Square Garden, which we know, especially at that time, I don't know if it was still considered a big deal at that time, but it was like the home of WWF uh, in New York City. The bigger deal was WWF New York. Oh, yeah. And we'll, we'll, <laughs> the Mecca. We'll de- that'll definitely come up <laughs> a couple times throughout this episode. I can't, I can't wait to get to that part with Linda. <laughs> so... Show opens with Kurt Angle against a mystery opponent. Turns out to be Taz, as we mentioned earlier. Uh, You almost forget how spry Kurt Angle was at one time. Yes. Because he is far from spry the last few years. I mean, the last probably eight years, really. It's funny to see Kurt with, like, completely straightened out legs. (laughs) And no speech in that in a while. Uh, What did you think of this as an opener? I thought it was a good opener, especially for that. Especially, especially for Go ahead, Eric. I said big pop. Yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was a good opener. Uh, Taz talks about this numerous times about when he first got debuted. He was wondering if they didn't know if the crowd even know who the hell he was, because ECW was ECW is a Northeast product. But he was just like, I don't think the car know who I am. But he did get. The huge reaction, even the way he won the match with the crowd just erupting when he hit the ta- when he locked in the Taz mission. And you guys know I've said this numerous times. Taz debuted, Taz career in WWE debuted and ended in the same night because he would literally go on to do nothing after this. <laughs> I feel like he did more as a commentator than he did as a, an in ring talent. He did because uh, Bruce Pritchard, I believe, did an episode on him. A couple of months ago, he talked. And he said the same thing. He wasn't really familiar with Taz's ECW work. Taz was in negotiations with Vince Russo to come before Vince Russo would leave for WCW. So, like that whole Taz thing was a Russo project, but Russo was gone by the, by this time. But he was like, yeah, Taz. He he knows Taz. He knows Taz as the announcer Taz, and he would be an announcer for longer than we actually thought. He went to announcing at the what. Oh one started doing part time announcing and then going into two thousand seven two thousand eight in WWE and then going to TNA and doing it. So a lot of people now they, they hold, AEW. Yeah, now yeah. he's officially AEW as of today. So a lot of people they do hold Taz as the announcer, not the wrestler, unless you're from like the Northeast and one of those diehard ECW fans. Yeah, and Eck, I know you're a guy who has a, a profound level of respect and appreciation for ECW. So your thoughts on Taz and Kurt Angle? Um, I mean, they gel so well. Uh, I, I loved when they, you know, flirted back to the angle, um, the angle of Angle and Taz years later when ECW was revived by WWE. But they they mesh so well. Um, you know, similar move sets with the you know the submission styles and the suplexes, um, and Kurt. Kurt sold the hell out of being scared. I mean, Kurt, you know, Taz being shorter and it, it just, he made in my eyes, even if you didn't know what ECW was, you knew he was a star. You knew he was a monster right when he came out and angle was shook. Um, it was great. I love Taz. Taz was probably the top two or top three most expensive micro brawlers. I got <laughs> one of the things I've always appreciated about Kurt. And I think it's like genius that they were able to pull this off. Like, 
the the idea of like the American hero, like that we've had in in our culture in this country forever, and especially like the Olympic hero, like the reverence that we treat those people with, the fact that Kurt Angle could be an American Olympic hero, a gold medalist, and they could make him like such a coward, and someone like that you just hated so much, like I think is really brilliant. They were able to pull that off because you'd think that that would be the type of person you would get, like, the utmost respect for. And they managed to, like, make him the the opposite of what we normally think of as an American hero. So I think that's great. And, like, Taz being the kind of tough guy from New York, I think was, like, a great kind of counter to Kurt Angle being, like, a little bit of a coward when it really came down to it. Surprise, this match was only four minutes long. Uh, a little less than that, actually. But love the way it ended. Uh... With Kurt just being put to sleep. And then, you know, the the kind of commentary talking about, like, that being illegal. And that would rear its head again later in the night. But I thought it was a fun opening match. Great debut. Great reaction for Taz. Awesome that, that people knew who he was, even though he thought they may not. Uh, and we get an interview backstage. Uh... Michael Cole interviewing the Hardys <laughs> with close personal friend Terry Runnels. Man, these guys have come a long way since then. <laughs> they have. <laughs> that whole promo, I thought about you because I remember you always talking about how Jeff Hardy, he sounds crazy when he talks. Yes. And, and Matt, his light year is different now because he was just as horrible as Jeff was. Oh, they were. Br- I was just sitting there the whole time just rolling my <laughs> eyes like, what? <laughs> Like remembering, because you know we've talked a lot on this show about me being like the lowest on the Hardys of all of us. Like I always liked the Dudleys more than the Hardys. I always liked Edge and Christian more than the Hardys. And like that interview is like exhibit A as to why I didn't like them as much as you guys did. (laughs) And then the whole Hardys with Terry thing, that's something I always try to block out because I, I thought that pairing just looked bizarre. Even though they won the ladder match, because I have such, I only have like a really vague memory of that happening. It it, it ended in February, the next month. Okay, she would not long. Yeah, she turned on them at No Way Out against Edge and Christian. Wouldn't expect anything less from Terry. Did she do anything with Edge and Christian, or she just disappeared after? Uh, no, they didn't really want nothing to do with her, and she was just floating around. But she would come back in the summer, and that's when she would. That's when she would uh, pair up with Perry Saturn. Also, Michael Cole in the role he was destined to play. Like, he was never meant to do anything more than that, as far as I'm concerned. Hit him with those tips, though. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I love the, the Michael Cole with the frosted tips. Such a great look on him. He should bring those back, I feel like. <laughs> uh, that leads us to their match against the Dudleys. Tables match, as X said, he believes best tables match of all time. Bubba with. Argue with me. <laughs> I will. I, I mean, I personally can't because I don't have another one that even comes to mind right away. Uh, Bubba and Spike and Jeff Hardy against Three Minute Warning. It's it's in Mass Square Garden. Survivor Series, same venue. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it's better, but it's good. The reason this match, the reason this match. Is better because it was shorter and got straight to the point. Which one? The one we're talking about? 
Yeah, the Hardys and Dudleys from this this match specifically was way shorter. Yeah, and it got straight to the point. They, there was no waste of time in this match. And yeah, they just got right after it. Comparison. It's a harsh comparison. You know, we all love Cody on this show, but it's just so funny to look back to 2000 in my youth. And this is probably why, like, I became a wrestling fan with like these hardcore stipulations. But then I fast forward 11 years later, I get back into wrestling, and then Cody Rhodes versus The Big Show in a tables match, and Big Show steps through a table, and the match ends. <laughs> Not what you were looking for in a tables match. It ain't the Garden, and it ain't Royal Rumble, it ain't the Hardys and the Dudleys. Nothing <laughs> compared. Yeah, we had Bubba with the stutter, uh, and I love that the, he, like the, the John Rocker reference, a super dated reference. Do either of you even know who John Rocker is? No. So I'm not gonna lie. He was a, a, a relief pitcher for the Atlanta Braves. I think he was their closer back then. And he did an interview with Sports Illustrated where he talked about being in New York and talked about being on the subway and made a lot of, like, racially insensitive and, like, culturally offensive comments that, like, once that interview was released, he became a pariah. You know, we you hear the, the term cancel culture all the time now about social media, people getting canceled for things <laughs> they either said now or things they said 10 years ago. I feel Poor like John Texas. Rocker may have been the first person to get canceled because <laughs> I like I remember the backlash to John Rocker to, in a sports illustration. Like this interview was in a magazine for Christ's sake. This was not <laughs> on social media. Like people had to go to a newsstand and pick up a magazine and physically read the pages. And people went nuts about it. Uh, and he, I think he later went on to, like, rehabilitate his career a little bit. But it was really funny for me to hear John Rocker because I was like, wow, this was somehow half of my life ago. And not surprised you guys don't remember this at all. But, uh, yeah, I thought this was an awesome match. It was a lot of fun, a lot of crazy stuff. And this was kind of at a time where, like, we were probably seeing stuff that we were not used to seeing out of these two teams like this was not the norm at this point they were kind of making this the new norm they were almost like paving the way for this style or whatever so i thought it was a great match uh so alo i know you think there was another one that was as good or better but your thoughts on the hardys and the dudleys and what was where was your fandom of the hardy boys at this point i'm I'm assuming at like a high point for you probably it wasn't at its peak yet it would it wouldn't get to its peak with, until they got with Lita, but it was up there because I remember seeing the ladder match from No Mercy, and I thought and I thought that was fantastic. And even like their whole brood look, I loved it. Uh, Eric seeing me play with the figures all the time, trying to pose them around, and I even end up on eBay looking at old Hardy shirts from that era with that with that whole brood look. But it wasn't at its peak yet. Uh, like I said, I, that whole Terry thing, I try to block out a lot. Uh, at this point, uh, Baby Ayla was still upset they would get screwed up the tag titles pretty often mm. <laughs> from the damn outlaws. But I thought the match was great. Like you said, that these guys, they, they were paving the way, but they set the bar, and they're still the, the bar when it comes to these matches because nobody's ever going to be – no tag team is ever going to be synonymous with tables, ladders, or chairs than the Hardys, Dudleys, and Edge and Christian. So when those matches get announced, I just don't really – I don't get excited. I never did until – Unless it's with those teams, and I think it's going to stay that way because even to this day, I don't think any of those matches have really been topped. Because there's only so much you could do, and like 
what can you really do that those guys haven't already? Yeah. They're like, there's almost nowhere else to go. Yeah. And it's not like they, like the matches were, were, were like lackluster, the original ones, but those matches, they were high praise match of the year candidates. Every single, at least the first two. And you can even count TLC three on SmackDown. All those matches were held in high regard. So there's but so much you could do, especially with the bar set so high. Speaking of the Hardys, and we're talking about them and taking ladders and nonsense, I had the um, NXT UK show on in the background the other day. And um, there was a tag team ladder match. Pastor, I have no clue about this, but there was a four way <laughs> ladder match. And at this one point, um, I'm so bad with the names, but I, whatever tag team, I think one guy's name is, uh, I'm going to butcher Flash Morgan Webster. Yeah, that's right. Um, who's his partner? You know what? I don't, but I know who Flash more like, Webster is. Two of them, them, two of them do a spot off a ladder, and I just hear in the background, eat your heart out, Jeff Hardy. And I go and rewind <laughs> it, and I'm like, how dare you? How, how dare you? <laughs> how dare you? They weren't even on the top of the ladder. How dare you? No, oh, I thought you were going to say something. Geez. Oh, no. Um, we then move on to Kurt Angle backstage <laughs> being checked out by the EMTs talking this about how good. I'm undefeated. Did I win? <laughs> and the gentleman saying, I have no idea. All I know is you were choked unconscious. And Kurt's response is, well, then if I got choked out, that's illegal and I'm still undefeated. (laughs) (laughs) His pride isn't hurt. His ego isn't hurt. All he's saying is, okay, well, if he cheated, then I still didn't lose. (laughs) But it does go down as a loss. Did did they ever go back to this? I don't remember if they ever went back to this or if this ended that night. I don't think it. I don't think they did anything. I know Kurt moved forward. Kurt will end up winning the European title from Val Venus a few weeks later, and then the next month at No Way Out, he'll win the IC title from Jericho and be, in his mind, the first Eurocontinental champion. But he he claims D'Lo Brown didn't count, which I completely disagree with. <laughs> as, as do I. I assume anyone associated with the Matt Madness Wrestling Podcast holds D'Lo Brown in, in very high regard. Uh, but very funny backstage segment. Very early, like good comedy work from Kurt. We move on to the Miss Rumble contest. <laughs> Can I just say, well, first of all, how annoyed I was that they were calling this the first ever Miss Rumble 2000. I'd assume because the next Royal Rumble would be 2001, it would be the only Miss Rumble 2000. <laughs> Like, they weren't going to be doing Miss Rumble 2000 every year. Come on, guys. Like, it's the only time it'll be Miss Rumble 2000. Uh, uh, What a cast of judges. Johnny Valiant, (laughs) classy Freddie Blassie, the fabulous Moolah, Sergeant Slaughter, one of my actual favorites, uh, Conan O'Brien's sidekick, Andy Richter. Andy Richter. I mean, my God, <laughs> there was even a couple other people that I'm forgetting. Uh, so a great cast of characters judging Miss Rumble 2000, the first ever. We have Ivory competing, Terry, Jackie, BB, who I don't even remember. Uh, Luna, the cat. Did, did you guys agree with me that this segment was absolutely atrocious? Horrendous. No. <laughs> so I what did you them. like about this, Eck? I, I, I need stuff like this now. I don't care. <laughs> I still need it. Why can't we have both? 
How about how, how about the kid in the front row flipping everybody off? Like especially when Luna came out, did you catch that? And the, the kid flipping everybody not. off. Oh uh, god, he's right in the he's right in the entry entryway. Especially with Luna, he's like laid it on her. That kid was inserting himself throughout the whole show. <laughs> he was. He might have been the first member of the IWC. Actually, <laughs> that was the inventor of the IWC. That that guy. Uh, it was. I mean, I thought it was atrocious right up until May Young came out, and for me, saved the entire segment. Uh, but how 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 perfect guy. how perfect is May Young's music though? It's amazing. <laughs> I loved her coming out. I loved how appalled Jerry the King Lawler was. Obviously, loved sexual chocolate coming out to to cover her up. Uh, I thought it was very funny. May Young ends up winning the whole thing. Eck was a young Eck to fly. First of all, were you Eck to fly yet in two thousand? No, I wasn't. Okay, so I was barely yet. even Eck. <laughs> so was a young Eric, not even nine years old, I assume. Uh, I, look, I wasn't going figure hunting, but I was H A R D. So were you disappointed that May Young won this thing? I'm still old head <laughs> Act Two Fly. I'm still upset. I'm watching this like, oh come on, man! I can hear Vince laughing in Gorilla, thinking, oh, this is great. This is good shit. <laughs> So who would your winner have been, Eck, if you had a vote? Straight up, because the GIF is classic. 20 years later, Jacqueline. You know what? That's where, where my vote would have gone, too. Dog. That, oh, my ahead, She was ahead of her that, time. Yo, that GIF is classic. <laughs> she was ahead of her time. She was about 15 to 20 years ahead of her time. It's, it's like in Back to the Future when Marty McFly plays Johnny B. Good. Or no, he and he goes into like a lot of the like heavy metal Van Halen sounding stuff, and he says, "I guess you guys aren't ready for that, but your kids are gonna love it." That was what I thought of when I saw Jackie. Like, you guys aren't ready for this yet, but your kids are gonna <laughs> love it. That's kind of how I felt. Alo, your thoughts on what the about first JR's? ever? I mean, uh, the King's reaction to it. He loved it. You know, I was actually surprised how. Uh, if I'm talking about. So, oh, I thought you were talking about her. So, what was it's both? I'm gonna send it in the group chat right right now. Uh, Yeah, King's reaction to the whole thing was was beautiful. (laughs) It it was excellent. But my my winner would have been your close personal friend Terry Reynolds. (laughs) (laughs) That would have been my winner. But like it's like King King's performance in the whole this whole thing was excellent. He made this, and the 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 thing that made the whole May Young part so funny to me was the last. When she took her shirt off the, the month prior, the cat, when she won the women's title in a, a swimming pool match or whatever the hell they did, she took her top off <laughs> at the previous pay per view. So that went hand in hand with what May Young actually did. Yeah. But they didn't, but at, at Armageddon the month prior, they didn't censor it. Okay. So only May Young got censored. Yes. Which maybe may not, not the worst idea. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and and Eck, as much as you would love to have a segment like this, I I think those days are are long gone. Maybe one day, those days will come back. May, may, maybe Tony Khan will give it to me. In the words of Bruce Springsteen, from a, a little song called Atlantic City, uh, I'm par- I may be paraphrasing, but uh, everything dies, 
maybe that's a fact. But everything that dies, someday comes back. So maybe one day we will get the second ever Miss Rumble 2000. Uh, even if it is 2020 or 2021. Uh, heading over for the first time of the evening to WWF New York <laughs> with a young coach. I don't even remember who he was talking to. Oh, uh, yeah, I don't remember who he was talking to. I don't even remember what happened. They may have even just thrown it to him to show that he was there. Uh, we have a little bit more in a later segment at WWF New York. Uh, I wonder how they could think they are more of a worldwide company now when they used to have WWF New York and now they don't. I know. I thought about that too. To me, that delegitimize, 100% delegitimizes them that they no longer have a WWF New York. And I don't even remember how long that lasted, but it was I around for. Maybe four or five years. And the funny thing now is if they opened up a WWF New York now, like would anybody go in there? I don't know because I remember they changed the name to the world. So they kind of got away from the the WWE like logo and stuff. But I just heard Bruce Pritchard said that and I've heard this on numerous times because I wanted to go so bad for my birthday growing up. But every review I ever heard, the food was not good. Even Bruce Pritchard said the food wasn't good. Everything not, else was not fine. surprised. Yeah, everything else was fine. Just, just food was food sucked. I went there one time, but it wasn't for the food. I went into the gift shop because the gift shop was before you got into the restaurant, and there were some DVDs that you could only buy at the at the World or on WWE Shop, and this before like the internet's a real big thing. So I got a couple of DVDs when I was there, but I didn't actually go in. But that's my only time ever going to the World or WWF New York. Yeah, I never went, uh, and I, I don't know anybody who anybody else who did. Uh, we then get Jericho and China backstage arguing over who should get to bring the Intercontinental Championship out to the match. As the title belt aficionado, the one who appreciates an accolade more than anyone else, who do you think should have been able to walk out to the ring holding the Intercontinental Championship for this match? Hindsight's always twenty twenty, but I'll say Jericho. Okay. And unfortunately, Earl Hebner took it and brought it out himself. <laughs> so neither one of them got to walk out with it. I'll tell you this. In, in my dumb self, I'm literally over here scratching my head. And you think with all like Jericho's like recent accolades, you know, winning the U.S. title for the first time like three or four years ago, first and only AEW world champion, IC champion in New Japan. I think like when they were doing all those collages of him, I was always thinking, oh, okay, his first championship in WWF was the European title, but I forgot that one of his IC title reigns was before that. I kind of did so, too. Yeah, I was always under the impression his first title was that European championship from Kurt Angle, but it looks like he wins that two months later. Yeah, he won the, the, IC, the IC from China at Armageddon the month prior, and he won the European at WrestleMania in the two fall match with Angle and Benoit, and lost lost the next night to Eddie Guerrero. Um, we then get the warning: "Do not try this at home." Uh, <laughs> segment, which I I always think is funny. When we I ignored see those. The, we ignored all those. Yes, I, and I know I was actively ignoring that by being in the SICWA and letting people hit me over the head with whatever they could come up with to hit me over the head with. 
may it may explain some things <laughs> 20 years later uh Undisputed Intercontinental Championship match, Hardcore Holly versus China versus Chris Jericho. Uh, we could obviously talk about the match a little bit, but one thought I had watching this, I, I want you guys both to answer this. Like, how do you think China would have fared today? Like, if she debuted in, like, say, 2015 or 2017, do you think she was elevated more? Back then, when there were really no other women to compete with her, or do you think she would be elevated more now uh, because she would have had actual peers and people to compete with? Like, what do you think would have been better for her? How do you think she would be received today? I think she probably would go to like a smaller company and become like, <laughs> like maybe in champion. Jacksonville. No, like Atlanta. Oh, and become okay. like their world champion. <laughs> so you think that's where China would have ended up? Yep. And you think? Do you think she would have been a bigger deal now that like women's wrestling is more accepted and cheered for, or do you think she benefited from being so high above everyone else? She she's perfect the way she is. She's perfect the way that her story played out. She will always be the first first woman to hold a men's championship first woman to do so many things first woman to be in the Royal rumble um she was ahead of her time and if it wasn't for her um these groundbreaking things that happened 16 plus years later for women would have never happened uh yeah i think that's a good way to look at it Ayla, what about you i think i think she's better off where she was because for one with the IWC the way it is, for for example, I'll compare it to this. China, like Eric, he's comparing her to the new Impact World Champion, Tessa Blanchard, to an extent. But I, I don't think – I think China will get more ridiculed for her work now. For example, Eric hates Nia Jax. I think he would judge China the same way he judges Nia Jax because even when, even going, even watching China's old stuff now, her, her forearms are terrible if you want to really – like dissect everything, everything. What made China was she was the only really one of the only women they had, and she was used as a bodyguard. We had never saw anything like China, similar to what Nick Aldis is doing now with Camille. She has he has his Amazon for a bodyguard, and she actually got physical with the men, stood toe to toe with Stone Cold Steve Austin, actually wrestled the men, and China was actually one of their probably top five biggest stars that they had at the time in, in the highest point they ever had in the attitude era cover a playboy going to all the award shows, the late night television shows, being an actual draw for the company. And nobody got pops like China. Uh, we reviewed the one, the raw from January 4th last year when they had the, the corporate rumble to see who's going to get 30 and she comes out and throws Vince out. The pops amazing. China, I think she's better off in that time because of that, because there weren't many of her, and she and she went she stood toe to toe with some of the baddest the baddest guys that the that the company ever saw. Yeah, and I don't know if she has quite the same legacy if there were ten or fifteen other women that the crowd really cared about. You know, she would have been just another one as opposed to the fact of being the only one. Um, now, Eck. I know you are the biggest hardcore fan among us. 
So what are your thoughts on Hardcore Holly? Because I don't know if I don't, I don't know if we've ever really talked about him Underrated. outside of. So I'm glad we're talking about this. I'm, I'm glad we're talking about this. <laughs> Underrated. One of my favorite finishing moves of all time, the Alabama Slam. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Oh my gosh, Holly! He's so underrated. He should have killed Brock Lesnar when he broke his neck. <laughs> um, oh yeah, and and above all else, give me a Mattel Elite Bob Holly ASAP. Hardcore Holly jeans or trunks? I'll take it. We need it. My head's starting to itch just thinking about it. Will that elite figure be allegedly four hundred pounds? <laughs> or allegedly over at, 400 pounds At the very least <laughs> Yeah, because I, I really don't think we've ever really talked about Hardcore Holly on this show Outside of like him teaming uh, with uh, Crash Holly And I know we, we laughed about them, you know, the way they were announced But I don't know we ever talked at length about them And Alo, you agree, you think an underrated guy? No, I don't like. I never liked hardcore. No, oh, you Holly. never liked him. I thought I you never were agreeing did. with that. I never did. Nice <laughs> finger, bestie. But uh, <laughs> Crash is way better than Hardcore Holly. I just don't like Hardcore Holly. Good in the ring, yes, great worker. But has he done entertaining stuff? Yes, the the stuff he did with Al Snow, mainly over the Hardcore title with the whole uh, during that whole like his Elso's figure controversy with the with the head demonizing women or whatever. The whole that. Stuff was over the hardcore title, but other than that, he's a tough guy, and and that was it. I just always thought he was boring. He just, he, I thought he just came out. Hey, I'm a tough guy, and did nothing. That's just me. Yeah, in hindsight, I I definitely appreciate him. Like he was definitely a big part of like what they built that whole like division that they built, and I'll always have respect for him for that. And I respect the fact that he played like the, the Mississippi River's never been the same since he pulled <laughs> up. <laughs> Yeah, I, I said I give him credit for Al Snow work. I give him credit for that. But other than that, he when put, it came to anything he saved else, Al Snow. When it came to nothing else, when it came to everything else, didn't care for him. I appreciate him playing the straight man to Crash Holly because I think that was a big part of like what made it work. Was Crash being the less funny one, and I also have to give him credit for being able to get away from being Sparky. Because that oh, was yeah. not an easy yeah, hardcore to Holly. From. Hardcore Holly is way better than all that stuff. Yeah, but I, I'll give you this: you couldn't tell me that Crash and Hardcore weren't really cousins. <laughs> oh, they're absolutely blood relatives. <laughs> Aren't they? I have no doubt. No. Like, what about Molly? Not even. No. Uh, well, she. Yeah, blood relatives, all of them. <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, you could not tell me they weren't real cousins. <laughs> what? So, Ayla, what did you think of this match? I thought it ended the right way. Uh, China is trying to lock in the walls of Jericho because I don't know if you guys saw, but they pin, they basically pinned each other in a rematch for the IC title on an episode of SmackDown, and Stephanie would declare that you're co-champions. And when one defended it, that if you if you lost, that means you both lose the title. So I thought I thought it was the perfect ending for the right guy won. Jericho's just getting started. Like Jericho. In the summer of 99, after his debut with The Rock, he was in limbo for months trying to find something to do. And he actually got a good match out of China. China's first, like, real big-time feud was with Jericho over the IC title. He got a good match out of her. So I think the right, the right guy won. And it, everything was straight, straight, straight and narrow for Jericho after that. I also think it's interesting. So he was definitely not in limbo anymore 
at the time of this show because he was no. definitely beloved by the fans. Yeah, he got and his foot in. I think it's interesting uh, that we, how we always talk about how he has evolved in ways that like no one else really has or could. But when you watched him on the microphone walking out to the ring, even though he's not the same character, even though he's obviously so much older, I'm watching him and it's like that is still the same guy. Like he has the same command, the same inflection. Like he's as different as he is. He's also not really different, which I think is really funny that he's somehow both of those two things where it's like, oh, yeah, this is the same guy that I could watch every Wednesday night be the best thing on that show. Uh, and amazing that he is still around, like, after all this time and arguably more prominent than anybody else in the entire business. And Alo, I agree, the right person won, I feel like, in the right way. And Eck, your thoughts on this match? <coughs> uh, overall, I enjoy it. Um, it. It's, you know, it fits the time. You know, um, three characters that are prominent fixtures in the mid card for the attitude era. Yeah. And it's just amazing to watch that. And 20 years later, still see what Jericho's doing. Mm -hmm. The rock with Michael Cole, the crowd absolutely ate up every second of this interview. The rock finally coming back to New York city. Uh, anything we need to talk about with the rocks promo, or are we kind of at this point, we all know what we got. I'd been scared of Crash Holly and Headbanger uh, Mosh myself. <laughs> so good. <laughs> I'm glad you brought up that specific. Um, New Age Outlaws versus the Acolytes and Eck. I don't know if you saw my eyebrows go up when you said this earlier in the show, because my first note under this match is, are the Acolytes underrated? And yes. you, it was one of the first things you said on this episode. Like I really do think they are. I think they're so underrated that they're not talked about as they're not even talked about as underrated. Like, can you recall I, I, us ever talking about them being underrated? No. Yes, me. I've said it before. Yeah, I, I feel like these guys were really good. They played a great role. One, they played a great role as kind of like the scary henchman for the Undertaker, but then they also evolved into like a great comedic role of like the kind of like macho tough guys who get drunk and play cards backstage <laughs> like icons heroes yeah, really like i i think they are very underrated i i think honestly they both are like like they're obviously not uh to to quote myself they're not Sami Zayn in the ring but i think they both were good in their own way in the ring they were a great tag team they were a great pair together uh so what were you gonna say heck they might not be Sami Zayn, but they're like they're uh, some Wrestle Kingdom uh, strong style. Man, they they will people's ass. Agreed. And Alo. Yeah. Well, I'm. This is going. This is basically a reminder to myself. Post uh, APA playing cards with TNA and Trish tomorrow on Instagram. That's that's just a note, a note to myself. But yeah, I didn't. Growing up, I didn't really understand the acolytes because. I think the whole APA thing kind of saved them because every episode of Raw back then they would get that segment backstage and that was like their thing for now you might not see it for the rest of the night you might you, you may or you might not may not and they didn't always win their matches or win tag team tag titles or whatever but like Eric said like 
that's they were there just to beat you up and kick and beat your ass. And they really left like beatings, even if even even if they lost, like they destroyed you. And you had to like really cheat to beat them. And that's so that's why I think they're underrated. We forget about that stuff. Because of, but the whole APA protection thing, I thought that kind of saved them personally because it actually gave them something to do and actually gave them some substance to their characters, especially especially when the Undertaker was out with injury and there was no more corporate ministry and ministry of darkness. And to your point, uh, the only reason they lost this match was because of cheating. X-Pac yes. ran in and helped them win. Eck, I know you said you popped for X-Pac running into this match. Uh, New Age Outlaws, how much longer were they the tag champs after this one? They lost them next month to the Dudleys, and Billy would be out with that shoulder injury. Oh, that's right. I forgot that happened that, like, so soon after that. I felt like that was, like, a lot further down the line. Uh, we got a McMahon-Helmsley video package. And who knew back in <laughs> early 2000 that it would basically still be the two of them 20 years later? It's maybe not the same, and I don't. they're not, like, trotting themselves out. Maybe I'm wrong because I haven't watched Raw or SmackDown in a while. But they may not be trotting themselves out there every week like they were for most of the past decade. But who knew that, like, in real life, it would be these two running things, basically, for the most part. I mean, obviously Vince still is, but could we have ever foreseen like that this would become a shoot? An <laughs> eight-year-old Alo did. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, yeah, you believed it was a shoot. <laughs> yes. Like they're going to run the company forever. Oh my god! Like what's going to happen? It's going to happen years from now. And do you think eight-year-old Alo really could have predicted that in 2020 they still would be? Uh, young Alo wasn't thinking that far ahead, but he would have loved it. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's crazy, like, to even think about. But, Eck, I told you uh, either yesterday or the day before, I didn't think we could feasibly do another show where we talked about one of the versions of Mick Foley without you. Uh, obviously, we're in here to talk about his title win on Raw last week, but you are here to talk about the Cactus Jack versus Triple H Street yes, Fight. Yes, I missed the greatest Raw of all time. Yes, but I want to hear what you have to say about Cactus Jack versus Triple H on this evening in January of 2000. So, a very exciting thing for our listeners about this pay per view. About more specifically this match You're going to hear Two sides of the table In a few minutes you are going to hear (laughs) My best friend Profess his love For Triple H And what this match means to him Well right now you're going to hear my love For McFoley and what this match (laughs) means to me Um Foley and Carnations Whether it be himself or any of his three gimmicks uh, it is love. It is love to me. Mm. It is pro wrestling to me. It may be why I am a fan of wrestling. Um, it is when I have spare time, whether I just want to watch some wrestling, good, bad, or indifferent, preferably something old, I will sit back and watch something McFoley has done. Whether it be something crazy as mankind, something funny as dude love, or something hardcore as Cactus Jack. Um, this match 
no exaggeration. I probably see, I probably just watched it last night from a hundred and third time in my life. Um, the hell in the cell match the following month, I haven't watched it as much and that match might be better, but I don't know this match. It, and you know what they always say in wrestling and they always say in WWE, how special Madison square garden is. Now I know for a fact, and I didn't know Aaron in 2000, but I know for a fact him or I, did not probably comprehend. I know I certainly did not comprehend what Madison square garden was, but that arena was always different. It always had that cool, small stage and it, it had a special feel that that event was special. Um, the thumbtacks, the, the table spots. Um, I love this match. If you ever are thinking about stopping being a fan of wrestling, if you like Mick Foley, and the world triple H. I think you can watch this match and relight your fandom. Uh, also on, on hindsight, you know, again, this, this match is great, but my whole life and my whole wrestling fandom, I've always heard people talk about triple H and how much of a technical wrestler he is. I think he is so underrated for how good he is in a hardcore element. I don't understand why that's something that's not talked about. Whether you talk about him and Undertaker at WrestleMania 27, him and Batista from last year, all his bouts with Mick Foley. Um, he's probably up there in, and this might even be a, a blow to him, but like WWE guys, he's top 10 greatest hardcore wrestlers maybe ever. Well, he's not afraid to sell for one. And he's two, not afraid to bleed. I was going to say uh, two, he loves wearing a crimson mask. <laughs> yeah um i and i think i, I was watching you know uh, again i i think in between the promo package and the commentary and they talk about uh you know how he's a technical this he's this he's that and i'm just like dude these commentators been telling me for over 25 years about how he's a technical this he's a technical that dude he really was just a cerebral assassin like i don't want to hear how he's technical because he was He's hardcore. <laughs> yeah, he was not just that. He was not just a technical wrestler. Like there was a lot more to him than that. Uh, and yeah, I because I remember, like when I first started to become a fan of Triple H in like '98, I guess, and it was like the the silly humor of DX, you know, and his feud with The Rock, and he was the guy that appealed to me as like a guy in my late teens like an immature guy in my late teens. But he became something very different from that. And you're right. I think there are certain – I think we all have these things where, like, you see you see someone a certain way and then you never change your mind. Like, if you look at someone like Jim Carrey, who was seen as the guy on In Living Color or Ace Ventura, and then he goes on to do a serious role and people get mad about it because, no, you're not being what I think you are. Or Jamie Foxx also known for living color and the Jamie Foxx show and doing comedy. And then he starts to be a serious actor or starts to be a musician and people get mad about it. Cause it's like, no, you're not being what I think you are. Triple yeah. H is, there's definitely more to him than I think what a lot of people see. And I get I a lot of the reasons why people may not like him or may be frustrated with him or whatever. Like I have a lot of those feelings, but when I look at Triple H in, in 2000, he was a guy that I really liked a lot. 
that deserved to be in the place that he was in and obviously <laughs> made the most of that opportunity, more so than most guys ever have. And Alo, would you like to give the uh, the flip side of the coin? Yes, of course. Uh, like Eric said, Triple H and hardcore matches, it's the ability to tell a story is what makes Triple H excellent at hardcore matches because every movement, everything he does is for a reason. And as he said, he is the cerebral assassin. So that's what everything he does in those matches matters. Now, like you just talked about, well, first of all, the video package left something out and by good measures, for good measures, Mick Foley got fired because him and the rock went one-on-one in a pink slip on a pole match. (laughs) Yes. And the rock won that. But <clears throat> you just told about Triple H and when you started to turn around on him. And then, especially at this time, Triple H would win the PWI. He'll be the number one wrestler for 2000. And in my opinion, it's, it wasn't even damn. It should, it's the Rock was number two. It shouldn't have been close. Because Triple H, every match on pay-per-view he delivered, you could run down every match he had that tie year. They were all excellent. The ability, the ability to tell a story, put the guys over. My favorite match of all time is him versus The Rock at Backlash 2000 because of the story in that match. And when this match particular... 2000 him, all over again. Yeah. In this match particular, him and Foley, their chemistry has always been fantastic. This was basically his coming out party because this was early in his reign as champ. This is his second, third, actually third reign. This is his third reign as champion. And this was deemed his coming out party. Mick Foley made him look like a million bucks. Triple H delivered and didn't even have, he didn't really need to be carried. Mick Foley, him and McCauley, they both did their parts in this match. The, the spots in this match were amazing still to this day. The match still holds up over time. The pedigree through the table, the backdrop, this the, the whole iconic part of uh, Triple H handcuffing Foley shades of last year against the, against the Rock and beating him down and just running to the alleyway. So come on, and he gets the interference from the Rock, and the cops end up um, – unhooking Foley from the cuffs just an excellent match and just like that whole iconic the iconic moment with the uh the thumbtacks when Foley always brings them out and then Foley actually kicked out of a pedigree in this match too and Triple H had to finally put him away with an actual pedigree on the thumbtacks and then there's, there's a shot when Triple H is covering Foley and you can see the tacks in his head and that's what it took to actually put Triple H away and even the post match I thought was great because I actually set up the match at No Way Out the next month, and that fully that cactus wasn't even done with Triple H. So this match, I hold this match in high regard. So to say, it holds up twenty years later, believe it or not, and that's my spiel on Triple H in two thousand. Yeah, so I don't have like a whole lot to add that you guys didn't already say. Uh, so I guess what I can say is I've always been a fan of the idea where. And I've talked about this a lot where someone is maybe looked at as more like more finesse than like tough. Like when you look at the the 1990s Dallas Cowboys teams or San Francisco 49ers teams or they were viewed as like teams with a lot of talent, a lot of like stars, but you'd see them get into a game where somebody was like punching them in the mouth, so to speak. And it would be an ugly game, a brutal game that you think maybe they're not tough enough to win. And they find a way to be tough enough. Like that's like the whole heart of a champion thing. 
And I feel like you look at something that's a street fight, you would think that would favor Cactus Jack clearly because that's what made him who he was. And you got to see that story play out with Triple H where he was, you know, the guy who was involved with Stephanie McMahon. He was maybe more like physically attractive and had a much better physique than Mick Foley did. And somehow he found a way to stoop down to Mick Foley's level and dig down deep enough to be able to outdo him in his own element. So I think it's always fun to see that kind of story because that will piss a fan off more than anything else. When you're like, this guy shouldn't be able to overcome this, but he did. And I also love the touch of The Rock even came out to help Cactus Jack, and it still wasn't enough. So, like, he didn't even just overcome Cactus Jack. He overcame help from The Rock, who was the biggest star in the business and, you know, arguably the biggest star to ever set foot in the world of wrestling. Uh, So, yeah, an awesome match, uh, a great match to to build this show around and Eck question for you mm-hmm. you just mentioned I guess you did say 98 so do you recall who you were rooting for present day back then to win this so like when I was actually 20 years old sitting down to watch this yes Cactus Shack alright so now again, we're talking. I say we're talking twenty years later, watching this, and yes, it's Triple H. You know, even even with the assist from The Rock, he couldn't beat Cactus. But like, and maybe I'm still a kid because like I I think I I blocked that out. Like that, like when he came, I was watching it last night, and he came out him with chair. I'm like, damn, Rock, what are you doing out there? <laughs> yeah, I've seen this match a hundred times. It's Still pisses me off that loses this match, and then it's like, damn, you really look like crap. Like, you had your boy come out and help you, and you still didn't do it. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I guess that's that's like, like I, I was wondering. I guess in, in and do you still recall how how you felt or who you were, uh, or if you were mad at the Rock? What was the Rock doing out there? I know he wanted to go out and lay the SmackDown and all that. I just wanted uh, wanted fully to shine on his own. Yeah, so I actually I didn't have a, a problem at the time with The Rock helping him because I just wanted Cactus to win. Uh, wanted to see. Yeah, I, guess I just looked at it like it made it made him look weaker because he still lost. Right, like and and that's the thing. Like they really put Triple H over, which yeah, by definition made cactus look even a little worse in losing like he didn't just lose he lost with help from the great one but yeah an excellent excellent match to build royal rumble 2000 around Ayla, i feel like you wanted to say something also. yeah i did foley's wbf career is it's pretty interesting so earlier in his career in wwf he started his biggest rival was the undertaker and then he had a little thing with Stone Cold for a little bit, and then it turned into a rock, The Rock, and then in 2000, it was Triple H. And and he had a thing with all those guys mixed in between those years as well, minor things. So who was his biggest rival in your opinion? Like, who do you hold – who do you think Foley's synonymous rival – who's Foley's synonymous rival to you? That's really tough. 
because there's probably, I mean, the three that just immediately come to mind for me, like that jump out, are The Undertaker, Triple H, and, and the, Rock. the Rock, yes. Also, um, would be fourth. Yeah, I would say same. Who'd you say would be the fourth? Also, would be the fourth. Oh, yeah. Those three, those are the top three, but who do you hold him synonymous with? Because the Taker stuff was in like 96. I think I hold him most synonymous with the Undertaker. 96 to 98. When was Hell in a Cell was 98. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know they were, they've had so many matches by that. I, I just put him synonymous with Taker. Like, I feel like Taker made him, and then meanwhile, fully made Triple H. Yeah, I do agree, Eck. Like, as far as rivalry, I definitely put The Undertaker as, like, the guy I'd make most synonymous. And it could be The Rock, except for the fact that I associate so much of them being friends. So, like, that takes a little bit away from the rivalry aspect to me. So I Yeah, because their whole feud was, like, a year. Because their feud was was only a few months, but then it would end up being The Rock and Sock connection at the end of the year in 99. The truth, like... I would say The Undertaker because of like the whole casket match, the Paul Bearer, the Boiler Room Brawl, and then the whole Hell in a Cell thing. That's how pretty much, how it pretty much culminated. But at the same time, the whole Triple H thing in 1997 when they had that steel cage match at uh, SummerSlam. And then I believe it was the next night he had that iconic sit-down interview with all three faces of Foley. So... And he had like they could have used that. I feel like for this promo. Well, they they could have, but he kind of hit on it at, at the promo on SmackDown. Then Triple H knew, like you know who this guy is. Yeah, he was the guy he debuted Cactus Jack on. So that all came full circle. But I'll give it to the Undertaker. But Triple H should be a sec, a close second. Yeah, like you could make a case for all four of them, and it's crazy that like the four biggest rivals he had were the four biggest names from that era. Really, like I don't. Can anybody else claim that? Well, just to play devil's advocate now, and we are talking about something almost four times as long. But over Triple H's career, who would you put as? And it's so hard, but who would you put him most synonymous with as a rival? I'd just say The Rock. I'd say The Rock. That's who I would go with, too. Because I look at them as like they had that huge rivalry over the Intercontinental Championship. Then they had a huge rivalry when they were both like world title contenders. Uh, I feel like, yeah, that. I feel like because their careers like matched each other so well that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was the era that I was like probably the most passionate about it, too. Like ninety eight, ninety nine, two thousand, two thousand one, and I feel You're like you were pretty yeah, passionate two. in twenty nineteen. <laughs> yeah, super passionate in twenty. I had a very my most passionate year in twenty nineteen. But yeah, I would say The Rock as well. How about you? I, I mean, honestly, I didn't have nothing to to my mind, but it, it would definitely probably be The Rock. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, I feel like there's like a case to argue, like. I mean, yeah, I, I guess even w- w- once you start, like, I want to throw Austin out there. And once I think of Austin, it's like, uh, all right, no, the Rocks rivalry was bigger. And then, like, 
you know, you could throw the Foley stuff, and then it's like, yeah, the Rock's rivalry was bigger. So yeah, I I, I put them, I put them with uh. With the rock, yeah, yeah, and like and like Ron said, the whole their careers were like this when mm-hmm. they were mid card. When Rock was mid card, Triple H was mid card, and when they rose up, they each climbed the ladder. They were kind of on up on Evil Eleven playing field, and then with the whole Nation and DX thing, those those stables going at it. So they were always on the same level at most most of the time, anyway. At the same time, Rock leaves in 03 anyway. They so, were neck and neck until they started doing movies, and then The Rock just catapulted yeah. way past them. <laughs> you didn't like Blade Trinity? <laughs> it was okay, but he definitely did not Chaperone become... or Tooth Fairy? Ooh. I'll go Tooth Fairy. There... Yeah, unfortunately for, for Triple H, his movie career could not quite compete with The Rock's Hollywood career. Uh... That leads us to Linda McMahon at WWF New York with Coach. Uh, Alo, I know there was something you wanted to say about this. Oh, yeah. She said, well, we'll do things the McMahon way, <laughs> and that's just put yourselves over. Yeah, and they're still doing it that way uh, yes. all these years later. Yeah, I just rolled my eyes like, come on. But I'll, I'll, I'll give them this. It was new in 2000. Right, like it, yeah, it definitely wasn't tiresome in 2000 like it is in 2020. You know, so you're right. It at, while I was rolling my eyes now, I definitely wasn't feeling that way then because I loved the McMahons back at this point in time. Like 2000, loved the McMahons. They could have done no wrong in my yeah. eyes. And a McMahon in every corner at WrestleMania. Yeah. yeah, and obviously times have changed, but that's not how I felt at the time. Uh, which brings us to the the Royal Rumble match, uh, and Eck, I feel like I have to start with you again on this because once again, like I look at the Royal Rumble as like you're the guy I know who loves the Royal Rumble the most. So, like, how does this stack up for you as a Rumble match? Not the best, not the worst. One thing I really like about it, a small detail, uh, I'm I'm hoping you guys call it this. Um. Freaking years later, and it's for a complete different reason. Um, hold on. In hindsight, there really was no surprise. Uh, no, I guess Bob Backlund, was he like the only surprise? Yeah. Or, like flashback person? So last year, we didn't get really, we didn't get any flashbacks. Ends a match. Um, but you got this stacked roster between Raw, SmackDown, you got NXT. You got another NXT show in another freaking continent. The, I mean, a 30-man rumble is so hard between alumni and everyone else. How do you pick 30 people? The thing I liked is 20 years ago, they didn't have this roster, but they had like a hard time putting 30 people in those spots. And then they kept doing those run-ins with those people in the low, low, low card. And I'm like, oh, wow, look at this. Like, these guys are real butthurt about not being in the Rumble. And it's like, wow, like, think of what that roster is right there. No, no, star-studded. Don't get me wrong, star-studded. And all these people were getting time. But, like, 20 years later, like, you know, you, we hear people in podcasts talking about, oh, yeah, three years ago I was supposed to be in the Rumble and I found out 20 minutes before – or I found out the day before I found out the week before I wasn't going to be in it. it it's crazy. Um, 
I enjoyed it. it. It wasn't the worst rumble ever, but it's, it's far from uh, honorable mention and being one of the best rumble matches. I do agree with you. It seems like Kai and Ty were the only people left out of the rumble who were on the roster. Well, they what actually about lost Mean Street Posse. Oh yeah. Them too. Well, Kai and Ty lost their spot. They were sitting on commentary early in the night. So that's why they kept trying to get in and out, get in the, in the rumble. But like the match, but it's itself is, it's known for the too cool spot, dancing in the garden. It's always been known for that, and that's it apparently. Other than the finish, go ahead. I, I, oh my gosh, I hate myself. I said this last night. How the hell we start off the Royal Rumble twenty years with Aaron and Ron starting the match off? <laughs> Freaking kidding me! Perfect. We really had Aaron come out number one, Pass come out number two. I'm sitting here, I'm like, I didn't even draw number three. This is ridiculous. And there's, there's a there's a there's a moment in Grandmaster Sexay's entrance and King and like the camera pans the King. He's like, wait, well, number two, what? And King has like this look on his face. Just the fact that on commentary they had to say the name Grandmaster Sexay. <laughs> is just to, to this day that's still not old for me that they had to actually say the name Grandmaster Sex A. They they couldn't have done a better job than to have those two guys started out. The fact that we got to basically open up with the two cool music was excellent. Uh like X said the two cool spot was great. Like the fact that they got to do that and it was really like you you saw it coming a mile away when it was down to the two of them that obviously Scotty Too Hotty is gonna come out. But it didn't take away from the excitement of hearing that music hit again and them do their spot. We saw the worm and then it, it ends with Rikishi throwing them both out. But yeah, I thought the the rumble match was was good. Uh, I do think it was like top heavy with like the way it ended was probably the thing that stands out the most. Uh, one thing that stood out to me, there was a point where test Rikishi and the boss man were all in the ring at the same time who aren't like the biggest guys ever, but are very big. And the British bulldog is in there. And I always looked at Davy boy Smith as a big guy. And he looked like, so small in the <laughs> ring with the three of them like i couldn't believe how small he looked um bob Backlund came in to make the rumble great again uh it didn't work with darren young it didn't work uh for this match either i love the touch with china eliminating jericho i thought that was great uh boss man eliminates her goofy self right after yes he did uh prince albert who once signed me to a one-day WWE contract back in 2015 was in this match. Artist formerly known as Lord Tensai. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was good. I even thought, like, X-Pac for as, like, he had a great three-minute run in this Rumble match. (laughs) At number 30. Got eliminated twice, and both of his eliminations were, like, epic. Gets, like, the way he got eliminated... uh, by Kane was amazing. Or no, he eliminated Kane, which I think is great. Of all guys to eliminate Kane, X-Pac, and he gets eliminated twice, like tossed over the rope like nobody else did other than the guys from Kai and Tai. Uh, and then we had The Rock eliminate the big show in controversial fashion. Uh, but I thought it was good. I thought it was a good way to close the show. Obviously, the guy who needed to win, they had win this 
Rumble. He was the, the biggest star in the game at the time. Uh, and I had a lot of fun watching it. it. It is fun to see these guys like like the Mean Street Posse, like Eck brought up. It's fun to get to see D'Lo Brown from back in the day. Uh, Test, who I've always been like a big proponent of, is being very underrated. It was it was a fun um, Rumble match. Richie's favorite Westchester local. Yeah. <laughs> um, but what what was the because what wasn't the controversy that like the rocks feet actually did touch the ground? Yeah. And it just wasn't caught on like the camera. Well, Big Show would go on a whole rant about it for weeks and trying to prove to Triple H and Stephanie that rocks feet hit the floor. So he would like. He would like ask people like he would, like, he would brought the, he brought the uh, the security guard that's always that was always at ringside backstage and Triple H was like well I can't go off his word off the security guy I need footage so a few weeks would go by and Big Show would actually have footage that Rock's hit Rock's feet hit the mat and they did so they would have a match at No Way Out the next month to see who would face Triple H and Shane McMahon would return then and he would take out The Rock and The Big Show would win and then number one contendership would kind of like flip-flop back and forth the weeks prior then they would have a triple threat match on Raw and then Mick Foley would end up coming back that would lead to McMahon in every corner yeah that would lead to the whole McMahon in every corner at Wrestlemania so that really jump started the whole thing with it being all yes. about the McMahons. They have yes. not looked back since. Yes. For the for the entire century so far. That that's what it's been. Done the McMahon way. Um yes. any other thoughts on the Rumble match or like this card as a whole? Better anything we've gotten now. Agreed. Any of you guys want to change yours to showstopper? No, I'm 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 pretty much set where I am. Would you do a high slobber knocker? Yeah, I did high. That, that, that's pretty good. I think because I had fun talking about it, I will elevate to a high slobber knocker as well. I can't go showstopper because there wasn't enough that like I lo- like loved about this show. But I, I will bump it up a, a little bit uh, just because I had fun if discussing could, it. If you could go back into your way back machine and if Cactus Jack would have won, it would be a showstopper that won it. Uh, yes, it, it would be. I, I probably, I may not, it might have been like one of my favorite shows if that happened. Uh, yeah, but no, it was a fun show to watch. Like I said, I didn't get quite the same excitement as I did watching that Raw episode last week, but this was fun. It was a fun blast from the past. Had a lot of fun discussing it with you guys and hearing like, it's always fun for me to to hear you guys talk about it knowing you were like kids watching this. Like, you guys watching this was like me watching Hulk Hogan in the mid-'80s, which is really (laughs) weird to think that. Like, I had Hulk Hogan, you guys had The Rock, and Triple H. Um, And Foley. Yes, and Foley. Um, So I guess that is it. Uh, Please subscribe on iTunes. Please leave a five-star rating and review if you haven't already. Uh, Hope you enjoyed our trip down memory lane if you have any thoughts or memories from this show that you'd like to share please do so on social media alo where could they find us on social media matt madness podcast on instagram and matt madness pod on twitter and would you like to move some merch yes yeah, so what a maneuver on net to embrace the madness all right so for ek to fly eric trembicki 
uh, for Mr. Wednesday Night Live. We call him Alo. The ladies call him Balo. Aaron Lloyd. Uh, please listen to the Your Boy Elroy podcast that will be released by the time you hear this with me guest hosting, uh, talking about UFC 246 and the return of Conor McGregor. I am Ron Pashery Jr., and we will see you next week. Got him now, put him down right now, hit him with the palm handle. Tuning up the band, y'all don't understand. This is Superman, it's a summer slam. Here we go again, fans mocking man. Man, I hate my balls, shut the Vince McMahon. It ain't safe to land, off the cell. Fans love it, ain't hard to tell. Talking madness, awesome well. What I'm cooking, man, y'all off the smell.